Miracles are a touchy thing. They're unpredictable. At times, they're beyond understanding. We witness a miracle in someone else's life, and we wonder if we can count on the same thing. Perhaps we're afraid to ask God for a miracle or encourage another person to ask for one because we don't know how to handle our disappointment should one not come. And what if the miracle isn't what we expected? Am I making too big of a deal out of this? Perhaps one of you is saying, don't make such a big deal out of it, just ask. Then there are those moments when we have no hesitation in our asking. Our backs feel like they're against the wall and we fall to our knees and all we can do is plead for a miracle. Please God, we pray, don't let this be. We can assume that the widows gathered around Tabitha's bed were sobbing in a way that showed their distress. Perhaps their prayer, please God, don't let this be. As you most likely know, there was no social safety net for widows during biblical times. Tabitha had been these particular women's safety net, providing for their needs through her efforts, literally clothing them. Peter is summoned to come right away. There are many aspects to this miracle that make it different from other miracles in the book of Acts. Most notably, there is not some theological explanation following Tabitha's resurrection from the dead. And the way that Tabitha is talked about makes it sound like she is worthy somehow to be resurrected. These women need her, and thus she shouldn't die at this time. These two aspects of this story make it unique among the miraculous stories of Acts, of which there are many. And these two aspects challenge us uniquely. We are already inclined, through our human understanding, to think that God looks favorably upon us, or not, based on our actions. Such a belief is one of our primary motivators for doing good. But there is very little evidence that this is true. Scripture tells us that the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. There are many examples in the Gospels of the unworthy receiving God's favor and blessing. Consider the parable of the field workers who were hired for a day's labor. And throughout the day, new workers are hired even one hour before the end of the day and each is paid a day's wages. If you remember this story, you know that those that worked from the beginning of the day are upset to be paid the same amount of those who worked for only one hour. And the landowner asks in this parable, are you angry because I am generous? With this and other stories from scripture, we would be wrong to conclude that through Tabitha's miraculous resurrection, it was her ability and willingness to care for the widows that somehow made her worthy to be brought back from the dead. And we all know that she eventually died again, just as Lazarus did, just as Peter did. 
Another difference in Tabitha's resurrection is that there is no teaching or preaching that follows this miracle. In other miracles, there are people present to witness it and thus to see the glory of God made known in the miracle. But not this time. And without some explanation, we're left to wonder about its intention. A miracle without understanding seems to be unfinished somehow. We know this, too, because of how we speak about the miracles in our own lives. I've heard people say, my life was spared, and that was when I knew that my work in this world wasn't finished. There was some reason and purpose to my being alive, and now I need to discover it. Based on this example, one could deduce that Tabitha was brought back to life in order that she might do some work that no one else is able to do. But this conclusion is really our own conjecture, and it is the flip side of the belief that God does miracles in life for our sake rather than for God's own sake. Such a conclusion that it's about worthiness is based more on our own theorizing and belief that it is all about us than in any evidence we find in Scripture. So there is one thing that we can conclude from today's miraculous story, and that is that it is yet another experience to support the power of the risen Christ. Throughout the book of Acts, which is written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke, we see illustration after illustration of the power of the risen Christ in the lives of those who follow him. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he broke the bonds of death. Death no longer had the last word. And we are informed through Luke's gospel that the truth that death no longer has the last word is true for all people. Those who follow Christ know this truth. Those who follow Christ are learning how to live into this truth. We, as followers of Christ, ask the question, where do we see the power of the risen Christ demonstrated? Where do we see the bonds of death broken? In most areas of our lives, we believe that with hard work and determination, we can change the outcome. So how can we apply hard work and determination to seeing the power of God at work in our lives and in the lives of those around us? through immersing ourselves in the stories of scripture, through seeing how the risen Christ was at work in the days following his, erection, his resurrection. In these two examples, we begin to train ourselves to witness Christ at work in the world about us. The reading of scripture is our hard work. The hope and faith within us is our determination. Fred Rogers was a Presbyterian minister and the creator of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He was asked in an interview once about his approach to difficult subjects when talking with children. In his answer, he told of how his mother had taught him to look at traumatic events. When witnessing an accident on the side of the road, she pointed out to him all those present to help. 
the ambulance, the firemen in the fire trucks, the policemen in the police cars. I remembered this story that Mr. Rogers told when a mother told me that her child had witnessed the police chase down a thief at a grocery store. She wondered if I could speak to her child. And so I did what Mr. Rogers had said that his mom did. I listened as the kid told me about what he saw, and I drew his attention to all those that helped in this traumatic event, their skills and their abilities to bring order to the chaotic situation. It didn't make the horrible event any less horrible. It simply emphasized the part of the event that brought peace to a horrible situation. We find ourselves faced with a similar challenge in the aftermath of the bombings in Boston this past Monday. We've all seen the gruesome and fearful footage of the bombings and watched the television this week as the hunt for the perpetrators of this heinous crime developed. There is nothing that can be said to lessen the horror of what took place. But can we train ourselves to notice the careful response to the horror? Can we notice the first responders that stopped the bleeding and the ones that strategized how to get the maimed to one of the four Trauma One emergency rooms in the area so that everyone might be treated as quickly as possible? Can we notice how the police used their words to drive people away to safety? Can we be grateful for the investigators who systematically pursued the suspects, engaging the public to the extent that it was safe for them to be engaged. The same investigators that put everything else in their life on hold in order to bring peace and safety and justice for everyone. Can we acknowledge the medical staff that have disciplined themselves to the ethics of caring for whoever is sick or injured, regardless of their own personal feelings toward the sick or injured person, even in the case of those doctors and nurses caring for the young brother suspected of committing this horrible crime against humanity. You see, I believe that the world today is as horrible as it has ever been. Innocent people have been killed by tyrants for all time. There have always been people who have died too young or suffered beyond imagination. We might be tempted to wallow in our grief at this reality. We, we might want to resign ourselves to the horribleness and steel ourselves against feeling the pain. But our faith demonstrates throughout the stories of scripture that grief and horror and pain are not the triumphant aspects of life. God's saving love made known through the people around us alters the situation. Through the resurrection of Jesus, we see that there is no horror that will have the final word. Life overcomes death. Love overcomes hate. 
and Jesus demonstrated this to us in his death and resurrection. We look to the one who incarnated this truth in order to find strength and fortitude in realizing this truth, this miracle, in this day and age. As followers of Jesus, we are urged and invited to know our faith stories and to open ourselves to celebrate the risen Christ in our worship so that we might discover God's miraculous work in the world. Amen. <laughs>